Today on Crossroads in Culture, we're going to begin a seven-part series looking at the seven statements of Christ from the cross and how we can find hope in life's darkest moments. This is the week leading up to Easter, Easter being next weekend, and so I thought it would be appropriate for us to talk about what were these statements that Jesus made from the cross and why are they so significant? What's so important about this and how can we take those statements and find hope in life's darkest moments? So we'll talk about that today on Crossroads in Culture. Early on in ministry, I I faced a difficult situation where conversations needed to be had with individuals who I knew would be less than receptive and decisions that needed to be made that would not be popular. To say that, that I wanted to walk away and not deal with the issue at hand would, would have been a gross uh, understatement, but it had to be addressed. And so after spending much time in prayer and receiving wise counsel, it was done. And by the end of the week, of all weeks, it seemed to me, verbal spears had been thrown in my direction, private meetings were held, threats were made, and even physical intimidation was, was used. I mean, I was left wounded and emotionally bruised. I was crushed. And it was a dark time, but, but never had I sensed God's presence more or experienced his faithfulness as I did in those days. Now, you've, you've probably had moments like that. I mean, the details may have been different. The story obviously is different for you, but the wounds weren't. And, and if you've had moments like that uh, or haven't had moments like that, you will. The, I mean, life's just full of dark moments. Uh, That's just the reality of a broken world that we live in. And these days or moments or weeks or seasons or whatever, they're not easy to walk through, but they're necessary. And when we look at this last week in the life of Jesus, um, this coming Sunday, we know it as Palm Sunday, which is the day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It kicked off a week that was, without a doubt, the week of all weeks when it comes to facing dark moments. I mean, it would involve the joy of a, of a Last Supper, the pain of a betrayal, the rejection of denial, the brutality of scourging, and the suffering of crucifixion. It would leave Jesus wounded and bruised, and ultimately he would taste the sting of death. And from eternity past, though, he knew what he would face, yet he knew what had to be done. I love what The Gospel of Luke tells us what Luke writes is that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what he was going to face, but yet he still went because he knew what had to be done. Now, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he enters to this joyous applause, the the celebrative crowd and, and shouts of acclamation that he is Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the one who would come. But by the end of the week, the same crowd, right, their adulation turned to fist-pumping angst exhibited by this mob of of self-seeking, what have you done for me lately, and you aren't who we thought you would be, executioners. Nonetheless, Jesus persevered. Passivity didn't flow through the veins of the second Adam as it did in the first. Let me explain that. In the Garden of Eden, Adam essentially said to God, my will be done. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, two different gardens, 
the second Adam, Jesus, said to his father, your will be done. He could, have, he could have walked away. Jesus could have walked away when the darkness of evil began to press in, but he didn't. He could have called 10,000 angels or more to rescue him from what he would experience, but he didn't. The scripture tells us that, that Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what awaited him, and yet he would endure the cross for the joy set before him. The joy of knowing that he would make a way to rescue his most precious creation, all of humanity. He would offer and extend the hope of salvation because of his endurance and enduring the cross. On the night that that Jesus would be arrested, knowing what was ahead, he was determined to show the full extent of his love by loving his disciples to the very end. I love this phrase that is spoken of in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 1. This is how the Apostle John, how John records this. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, and here's the phrase, he loved them to the end. That is so Good. I mean, enduring the week of all weeks and facing a cross that would be the instrument of his death, Jesus was committed to loving us to the end. Now, if, there, if there's anything that you can be certain of, it's this, that Jesus has loved you to the end, to the very end, that you might know a love that never ends, even in your darkest moments. I mean, that kind of love gives hope. And hope is what we all desperately need. So I hope you will continue to join me this week. I'll be doing a podcast um, every day. So tomorrow, Friday, I'll do the second statement from the cross that Jesus made. We'll skip through the weekend. And on Monday, I will pick back up with the third statement. We'll go through Good Friday as we look at the final statement that Jesus makes from the cross. So I'm going to encourage you to join me in this and and share this podcast with your friends on your social media platforms um, and, and, and pray that they might see the richness of what Christ said, the significance of his statements from the cross and how we can find hope in life's darkest moments because of what Jesus has done. So join me this week and let's listen closely to his final words. Now before we get into the first one, I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 53, it's, it's this messianic prophecy. It, it prophesies what will happen to the Messiah when he comes. In Isaiah chapter 53, and maybe, I don't know, if you're driving in your car, certainly you can't look at your Bible uh, or the scriptures while you're doing that. Please don't do that, right? Um, and so, it, but maybe you're listening at home and you want to get uh, your Bible out or your Bible app. I love the pages of Scripture, love love just kind of holding the Scriptures and looking at the text. But if you want to look on one of your devices on a Bible app, absolutely do so. But Isaiah chapter 53, and here's what's prophesied about the Messiah. It reads, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now, this is speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus who would come. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, He's put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now this is speaking of Jesus. This was written 700 years or so prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. So here it is prophesied, and the prophecy came true. Jesus was crucified, and you can see the detail that Isaiah goes into about what would take place, and then we see it played out obviously, in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, as Jesus goes to the cross, there's a lot that has taken place prior to him being sentenced to death on the cross. Um, There are trials that are illegal, uh, that went against Jewish law. They had these trials at night. Um, It was was like a kangaroo court, if you will. I mean, these were were trumped-up charges against Jesus that weren't true. People were paid off. People were were incited to to speak things that weren't true about Jesus, all because the religious elite, the religious leaders of the day, wanted him gone. And so now Jesus goes to the cross. He has been beaten mercilessly within an inch of his life, so to speak, by these Roman soldiers. And he's forced to carry his cross to the place called Golgotha. It's also known as the place called the Skull. I've had a chance to, to go to Israel and be able to see the place where they believe Jesus was crucified. It now is a, a bus station, oddly enough and ironically enough. But there's this mountainside, this, this rock formation that, that absolutely looks like a skull. And so Jesus was cruci- crucified there. And as he was crucified, he made seven statements from the cross that we find throughout the Gospels that are incredibly significant. Now, I want to give you the seven statements, and then we're, going to, we're actually going to talk about, I'm going to share with you about the first statement and what we can unpack from that. So here are the seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross. The first statement he makes that we're going to look at in this episode is when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we find that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34. The second statement he makes is, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
he, he is speaking to one of the criminals who is being crucified as well. So on either side of Jesus, uh, there is a criminal who just justly is dying uh, and being crucified because of their um, wrongdoing, their disobedience, their law-breaking, right? Um, they have broken the law, and they rightly are, are being punished. But Jesus is unfairly being punished, yet it is all in God's sovereign plan. And so he says to one of the criminals, uh, as we'll look at uh, tomorrow, in Luke 23, verse 43, um, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the second statement. The third statement, he says, um, is to his mother, Mary, who's there at the foot of the cross. I can't even imagine as a parent being there watching your son being brutally, uh, not only beaten, but crucified, and people mocking and making fun. But Jesus, in his compassion and his love, says to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, whom we know as John, he said, behold your mother. And that's in John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27. We're going to talk about what did Jesus mean by that statement? And why did he say to John, behold your mother? The fourth statement we'll look at is when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus would say in this dark place, in this dark moment, God, why have you forsaken me? And we're going to look at that question and, and see if we can answer, did God really forsake Jesus? Or did he just feel forsaken? In other words, was he actually forsaken by God the Father? Or did Jesus just feel as though he was forsaken? We're going to talk about that. The fifth statement that Jesus makes is this phrase, I thirst. What's so significant about that? That's in John chapter 19, verse 28. We'll talk about that as well. The sixth statement he made is, it is finished. What is he referring to? In John chapter 19, verse 30, well, just a hint, the work, the redemptive work of Jesus to redeem, to offer redemption, to pay the price for our sin would be completed. And then the seventh statement. When Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And that's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 46. So those are the seven statements that we're going to be looking at beginning today and going through Good Friday of next week. So I hope, again, you'll join me for those statements. But let's get into the first statement that, that Jesus makes from the cross. In Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus makes this statement when he's there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, we know the crowd that was surrounding and watching the crucifixion of this, and, and this, this crucifixion would have been on a well-traveled road so that people, as they were passing by, they could see this. This was part of kind of the humiliation of those who would be crucified. And you have the crowd that's there. You have the, the Roman soldiers who are carrying out the execution. You have the religious elite, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the Sadducees that are watching this, and they're mocking they're making fun. They are looking at Jesus and the punishment that he has been given, and they're seeing themselves as a success. And, and in the background of this all, in the heavenlies, the spiritual uh, realm, um, Satan is reeling because of what is being done. But yet Jesus looks at these who are carrying out the crucifixion, those who are mocking, and he says to his Father in heaven, to God the Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what did he mean by that? They don't know what they're doing. I mean, they knew they were crucifying this man, Jesus. But they were 
they were completely ignorant to the fact of exactly who Jesus was, that he truly was the Messiah who had come. He truly was not only the Son of God, but he was God the Son, God in the flesh. Now, here's here's something that I think is important for us to to kind of take from this. Here's the first thing, that ignorance does not make a person any less a sinner. You see, their ignorance did not remove the guilt of their sin, and they were completely ignorant. We know that because Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. It says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then in Acts chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, Luke records this. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. So these people didn't understand that they were crucifying the true Messiah, that they were crucifying the one who had, who had spoken the world into existence. And we know that Jesus was there at creation because of what God's word says in, in Genesis, but also in Colossians chapter 1. And they were ignorant of all that was taking place because as Paul said, if they had known, if they had understood this, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But yet they were ignorant of this fact. But even though they were ignorant, it doesn't make a person any less a sinner. Someone could say that that they were ignorant of God um, and all that he had done in in sending Jesus. We could say that now. I'm just just ignorant of all of this. Or or whenever we face death, because the Bible tells us that it's appointed for every person to die, and then comes the judgment. The truth is that every single one of us, we're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, you can't claim ignorance because ignorance doesn't make you any less a sinner. God has made it very clear not only who he is, but he's made it very clear who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so understanding that that every person is a sinner, which leads me to the second thing. That Jesus interceded on our behalf to make available what every sinner needs most, which is forgiveness. Every sinner, what every sinner needs most is forgiveness. And what the cross is, the cross is the visible display of what was required for us to be forgiven. It's the means by which God said through the cross and through what, what Jesus did on the cross, his death on the cross for us was necessary so that we could be forgiven. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, verse 12, I just read this just a few moments ago, because he, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, because Jesus poured out his soul to death and was numbered among the transgressors or numbered with the transgressors, speaking specifically of the two criminals that he would die in between, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he, Jesus, bore the sin of, of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Here's why every sinner, why every person needs forgiveness. And, and the, again, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The Bible also tells us in Romans that there is not one who is righteous, not even one, except Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's walked this earth, who has lived without sin, which, which gives him the authority and the right 
to die on the cross in our place, and it makes him the acceptable, acceptable sacrifice on our behalf because he, he was the perfect sacrifice. None of us can save ourselves because we're imperfect. We're sinners. And every sinner needs forgiveness because every sinner is guilty. And that's the truth. We have broken God's law. We are guilty of in our rebellion, in our sinful rebellion, and every person has. Every person has sinned against God. Now, I know some people would say, but I'm a good person. The, pro- the problem, and you may, you may be a good person. I'm, I'm sure you are a good person. But the problem with that is that we're not good enough in and of ourselves. Even on our best day, we sin against God. And so, so understanding this, and, and every person knows this, that in, within themselves they realize that how broken they are. They realize that they're a sinner. Whether they want to say the word sin or not, the truth is that we're all sinners. And every sinner needs forgiveness because every sinner is guilty. We all stand guilty before God because of sin. But the gospel gets better because Jesus took our place. He took our sin our guilt upon himself so that we could be made righteous, made right, and forgiven of sin. So every sinner needs forgiveness because every sinner is guilty. Every sinner needs forgiveness as well because without it, we remain separated from God. You see, the truth of the matter is is that that if we remain in sin, if we are dead in sin, is what Scripture says, because because sin leads to death. That's what, that's what the Bible says. For the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. It's death physically. I mean, the reality, the reason why people may say, well, why, why does death happen? Death happens because sin entered into the world. In Genesis, we, we read about this. And so because of that, we live in a broken world, which is why we have a broken culture, a broken society. We see brokenness everywhere. It's why poverty happens. That's why you see brokenness in, in marriages and in parenting with children. With I mean, you, you see it in government. You see it in the financial realm. You see it all over the place. And it's because we live in a world full of sin. And the Bible tells us that, that sin is what separates us from God. So there's going to be physical death because of sin. But he's speaking of spiritual death as well, that we're spiritually separated from God. And every sinner needs forgiveness because without it, we, we remain separated. You see, Jesus took the place. He took our place on the cross so that by his death, if we would put our faith and trust in him and what he did on the cross and look to him by faith and ask him to forgive us of our sins as we turn from sin and turn to him for the forgiveness of sin, then we are able to experience his great salvation and experience his forgiveness. But without forgiveness, then we remain separated from God. Every sinner needs forgiveness because without it, we remain under his wrath. You say, well, that sounds, that sounds harsh. Yeah, it is. But a holy God must pour out his wrath on sin. You see, the, the Bible makes it clear that God has created us for eternity, to spend eternity with him. This life is not all there is. As a matter of fact, this is just a prelude. And there's coming a day when this life will end and you'll spend eternity either with God forever in heaven, not separated from him. You'll be with him for all eternity. And that's such a cool thing about what heaven's going to be, the new heaven, the new earth, as Revelation speaks of. And I would love to do a series sometime on that. 
or you will spend eternity separated from God in a, in a literal place called hell. And I know today that there are some people saying, there's not a literal hell. Well, if there's not a literal hell, then there's not a literal heaven even either. But I, I believe scripture teaches without a doubt that there is a literal heaven and a literal hell as well. And those who have, have, have rejected Jesus will spend eternity separated from him in a literal place called hell because God pours out his wrath on sin. You see, God cannot allow sin in, in his dwelling place in heaven, in his presence. And if we're sinners and God doesn't allow sinners um, who have not been forgiven into his dwelling place and into heaven, then that leaves us without hope, right? How, how, then what does that mean? Well, that means that we need to be forgiven, and the only way we can be forgiven is through Jesus Christ. And see, so here's the beauty of this, is that Jesus died on the cross. He interceded on our behalf by dying on the cross so that he might receive and take the wrath of his Father that was due to us, that he took the wrath of the Father, or the wrath from his Father that was poured out on sin, our sin that Jesus took upon himself, so that we no longer have to be under God's wrath, but rather we could experience his righteousness. So rather than being under his wrath, we can be made right with God, but it's only through Jesus because Jesus is the one who took the Father's wrath. In the Gospel of John, listen to what Jesus says. He says, whoever believes in the Son, speaking of Jesus, speaking of himself, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Now, here, here's, the, here's the thing you need to understand. That every, every sinner receives forgiveness when, when he or she confesses and repents. That word repents just means turns away from sin. That's what it was saying in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent or turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Turn again so that your sins may be blotted out, erased. And that doesn't mean you'll never sin again. Because again, we're, we're human and it doesn't justify us sinning. But when you surrender your life to Jesus and by faith put your trust in him for the forgiveness of sin, as you confess your sin and say, Jesus, I agree, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. And as I turn from that sin and I put my faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, he forgives me and he saves me. And because of that, we can live in the righteousness of Christ. And so whenever we, uh, we confess and repent or turn from our sin and put our faith in Christ, we receive his forgiveness. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He interceded on our behalf to make available what every sinner needs most, forgiveness. And that's why Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And by Jesus dying on the cross, he made a way that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Now, how, how, was, how was it that Jesus was able to pray this, Father, forgive them? Because quite honestly, in my humanness and probably yours as well, if I was wrongly crucified, if I was, if I was put on a cross, if I was beaten, if I was mocked by people, my first thought honestly would not be, hey, God, forgive them for what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing. God, would you just forgive them because they have no clue what they're doing? In my humanness, there is, there is no way. But that's the beauty of forgiveness, is that forgiveness doesn't come from this place that we manufacture on our own. Forgiveness 
is an act of Christ at work in us. You see, Jesus was able to pray this because his sacrifice met the righteous demands of a holy God. That's what I was talking about just a few moments ago. That Jesus was able to meet the righteous demands of a holy God because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28 says this, and Jesus is saying this, For this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I wish I had time to go back and look at the Old Testament where they would sacrifice, the priest would offer sacrifice of, 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 of animals, of, of innocent animals, um, and their blood would be, would be used to, to sprinkle on the mercy seat um, within the tabernacle and the temple as, as atonement, as payment for the sins of the people. It was, it was symbolic of what would happen in Jesus when Jesus laid down his life by dying on the cross for our sins and that his blood would cleanse us from our sin. And he wouldn't have to die over and over and over again. The Bible says that his sacrifice would be one sacrifice for all people once and for all. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins is what Scripture tells us. And then 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You Right now you may be thinking, you, know, you don't know what I've done. Sean, you have no clue what I've done in my life. Well, you don't know what I've done either. The truth of the matter is, is that, that God's forgiveness and the blood that he shed on the cross so that we could be forgiven covers and cleanses us from all sin. You are never too far from God. I hope you hear that. You may think, why would God ever want me? Why would God want someone like me? And I will tell you why. Because you're created in his image. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me and for all of us who live in this world, who have lived, who live now, and who will live. In this world, Jesus has died for us that we might know him and be cleansed from all sin. Another incredible thing about Jesus dying on the cross and this statement, it helps us in how we live now. I mean, Jesus intercedes for us as we seek to forgive those who have wounded us. Right At, At the pinnacle of his pain, Mercy and grace were on his lips. I mean, that, to me, that is just astounding. It shows the extent of his love for all mankind. That at the, at the highest point of his pain, mercy and grace were on his lips. He was thinking about those who were crucifying him. He was thinking about those who were mocking him, and he was thinking about us. You see, Jesus models for us On the cross, he modeled for us what it looks like to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us. And there's no way we can do that on our own. You've been wounded by people. I've been wounded by people as well. We're going to experience wounding in this life because, again, we live in a broken world and it's full of broken people. But Jesus has given us an example of what it looks like to extend forgiveness. Not that we that we try in our best efforts to forgive because you can't do that in your best efforts. Forgiveness is something very supernatural and divine and spiritual that only happens for those who are in Christ to be able to truly forgive, which means that I'm not going to hold your offense, the, the how you've offended me. I'm not going to hold it against you. 
I'm not going to keep a ledger of all the offenses. Can you imagine if Jesus kept the ledger of all of our offenses? But God's word says that when he forgives us, that he cast our sin uh, into the deepest depths of the ocean. As far as the east is from the west, he separated that. And that's the beauty of God's grace in Christ Jesus and the forgiveness that he extends to us. And so Jesus on the cross modeled for us what it looks like to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us. So here's what that means. As believers, Christ in us gives us the grace and the mercy we need to forgive those who have deeply wounded us. I mean, from this statement, this statement, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Even those who have wounded you, they they may have intended to wound and hurt, but they didn't know, they were ignorant perhaps of the full extent of what they were doing. Even though it's wounded you deeply and it hurts, and I know what you're thinking because I've felt the same thing and I've said the same things, I will never forgive them. But the reality is, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, then really we don't have an option. Because the truth of the matter is, is that when you choose not to forgive others, it doesn't affect them. It kills you. I've heard it said this way. To not forgive people who have wounded you is like drinking poison, but expecting them to die. And that's what happens when unforgiveness remains in your heart is it kills you, and it holds you in prison. And Jesus says he's come to set us free, and for a heart that harbors unforgiveness, you're bound. And Jesus says, I want to help you forgive those who have wounded you deeply. And so when we see Jesus on the, Jesus on the cross, he's paid for our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might have life in this world and in the life to come. That's the beauty of the cross and what he did on the cross for us. And as he extended forgiveness, extends forgiveness to those who crucified him, he extends forgiveness to us. And if we would turn from our sin and turn to him, we can be forgiven of sin. And as a believer in Christ who has received God's great salvation through Jesus and his forgiveness of my sin, now I, ha- I can, because Christ lives in me, be able to forgive those who have hurt me deeply, who have wounded me deeply. And you can do the same. It's a process. But I believe that Jesus wants to free you from your bondage of having unforgiveness in your heart for someone who's wounded you. To experience the beauty of his forgiveness that he's poured out on you and for you to forgive those who have wounded you deeply. So this is the hope that God gives us in Christ. This is the hope that we find in life's darkest moments, because in Jesus's darkest moments on this earth, he gave us much hope. I hope that as you've listened today, that this has encouraged you. I hope it's maybe challenged you as well. Maybe it's pressed on some real tender places in your heart where you've been wounded and you need to forgive those who have wounded you deeply. Don't try to do it in your own strength because you can't. But maybe pray something like this. God, would you would you, would you please help me? By your spirit who lives in me, would you help me forgive those who wounded me deeply? And as you pray that, I believe with all my heart, because I've seen God do this in my life, that he will help you forgive those who have hurt you, wounded you. 
and you'll experience a new type of freedom than, that you haven't experienced in a long time, perhaps. And in doing so, you will find yourself living as Christ has lived. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and as you've listened to this, you realize, you know what, I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from Jesus, and I really, I'm empty. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm in this world, and I'm breathing, but I'm, I'm, I'm not living, I'm just existing. I'm, but I'm empty on the inside. Well, the beauty of the gospel and what we focus on in this week, which really it's just not this week, but every day, but specifically at this time of the year as we focus on this. Man, what a time to say, Jesus, I realize what you did for me on the cross. I'm not good enough because my, my goodness is not going to get me to heaven and my goodness is not going to make me right with you. I realize I'm a sinner and, and I confess that to you. And I want to turn from my sin, and I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. If, that, if that's kind of where you are, you can, you can just simply ask him. Just, just pray something like this. There's, there's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a simple prayer of faith that's sincere. And if you truly desire to experience God's forgiveness and his salvation, to give you a hope and a future, then maybe pray something like this. Jesus, I, I realize that you have died on the cross. And I realize that I am a sinner who is separated from you. I turn from my sin. And I surrender my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me and for saving my life. Amen. So you can pray something like that. And when you, by faith and with sincerity of heart, pray and ask God to forgive you, you confess your sin, you turn from your sin and ask God, God, would you please forgive me? God's word says, that he will forgive you. Whoever confesses with his lips and believes in his heart that Christ died and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the hope of the gospel. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Well, thanks again for joining me on this episode of Crossroads and Culture. And as I mentioned earlier, if you found this encouraging to you or helpful, maybe you have a family member or a friend that you would love for them to hear the hope of this message in this podcast, then I want to encourage you to share this on your social media platforms, on Facebook, on Instagram, what, whatever platform you have that you could share this on. I encourage you to do so. So thanks again for joining me on Crossroads in Culture, and I look forward to you joining me tomorrow as we look at the second statement that Jesus made from the cross. 